guys welcome back to our true crime podcast don't blame the mom i'm hannah <laughs> you get a bit, bit stuck on the podcast word there i think i called it a podcast <laughs> welcome to our podcast <laughs> don't blame the mom i'm kate and i'm hannah as i said earlier how but are we yes. all doing everybody hope everybody's good hope you're having a fantastic monday thus far Great to be back. So we are actually recording this on the back of last week's episode. So we're doing two back-to-back because, like I said, I'm off on my honeymoon in a few days. Very excited. Well, also because we're actually idiots. When we initially decided to (laughs) do this case, we kind of thought that it was a bit more connected because they're related. Yes. But when we started researching, we were like, these are two totally separate cases. So basically, we've put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Yes, we did. But so somehow we, were, we managed to push through. We did. And we were like, right, we're just going to do two completely separate episodes and hope for the best. Yeah. So. And actually, funnily enough, it's the first time ever that I've been finished before the day of recording. Oh, my God. I was so... A, impressed, and B, jealous, because I hadn't even <laughs> written it at all. I was like, oh my God. I literally was up nights getting this done, because when I realised these are two totally separate stories, I was like, you better stay up late, Kate, and get this stuff done. Exactly. And so I, I mean, did. Exactly. And then we were referring to last week's episode, which was Stephen Stainer. Episode 47. Exactly, which leads us into the one we're doing today. But before we get into that, um, I just want to say uh, that Kate's got me a present. I have got you a present. So this is actually Hannah's Christmas present. But because, I don't know, we just didn't manage to get there. So Hannah's Ooh. Christmas present, which you're now all going to hear Yay. her receive. I'm but so excited. I know, I think you're going to really like it. Oh, oh my God. It is not Britney Spears, <laughs> the woman in me. Oh my God. think I'm going to like it. I, I was just obsessed. Like, I know. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Thank you so much. I literally saw it and I was like, okay, now I'm not going to lie. It's kind of a both of us present because you're going to have to let me read it after you. 100%. You know I'm going to be literally like sending you screenshots of parts of the book. Like, oh my God, did you know this? But I'm so excited. You know, I'm a long time Britney Spears fan and still love her to this day. Still know all the routines and still think that I'm, you know... I am like her, but I'm not. So, <laughs> And don't you worry, because Hannah has also agreed to show us all the routines and we'll be putting them all on our well, intro. Well, <laughs> come out with me on a night out, guys. And whether you like it or not, you will find me on the dance floor doing them. That's how sad I am. Yep, that's how, how pathetic I am, even in my 30s. Sorry about that. But thank you so much. You're so welcome. Okay, so I actually haven't got you a Christmas present, so now I feel really bad. It's okay, because you're going to get me a birthday present. That's I am indeed. And I think I already know what I'm going to get you as oh, well. Oh, do you? So that's good. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So. Well, that's exciting. So it's my yes. birthday this, well, it'll be this week that's coming out. No, it's oh. not. It would have been. Yeah. So what, what date is it? 16th of Jan. There we go. Mm-hmm. So very exciting. Oh. And I'm going away as well. So because Hannah's away for her honeymoon... I've made my going away for my birthday work um, around that. So Sean and I are going to Switzerland. Yay! I don't know if I've ever mentioned Switzerland before on the podcast. <laughs> you have, because I said to you, make sure you get me Swiss chocolate. So we've definitely <laughs> talked about it, because I remember my piggy tendencies. Give uh, me some food! I would 100% have bored everybody with my Switzerland antics. But I am going back to Switzerland. I'm going to stay with my friend who lives out there, Cloda. And going her skiing. husband Rick. We're going to do a bit of skiing. Yay! Borrowed some of... Um, Harry and Hannah's stuff. Yeah, ski gear. Yeah, just to make it up because I just don't 
want to be buying all the ski gear when I ski no, so irregularly. Ski gear is so bloody. Mm. Skiing in general is bloody expensive because it's like the ski passes and then like the, the thermals and then like the salopettes and the gloves and the flipping goggles. Like, yeah, all of which it. Is so much. And obviously the apres ski, which is the most important part. Which <laughs> My is favorite like part. Going for drinks after <laughs> on the slopes. So, you know, it, it is, but it's really fun though, isn't it? Yeah, really looking forward to it. So I think we're just going to do one day skiing and then chill out, hang out with Chloe and Rick and. Yes. a bit of fun so if you're wondering what sweets we're chomping on this week because oh. <laughs> we always are it's Mentos again yeah we're definitely not promoting them I swear guys we're just massive fans but once again if they would like to sponsor us <laughs> please contact us on dumplingthemarmatgmail.com yeah, they'll definitely be listening to us obviously <laughs> oh, so yeah of course they are <laughs> so on that note should we jump right into episode 48 mm-hmm so in the night 19- shall we start with the trigger warning oh my actually we should because we didn't even do one in the last episode I just realised Okay, well, really bad. that's an edit for you to work out. Oh, God. <laughs> Not for me, Harry. Sorry, Harry. So, as always, a trigger warning. There is um, murder, sexual assault, and some very heinous heinous acts mm. uh, involved with this case. Um, so, just, obviously, you can skip or... No, you can't not Well, listen. don't skip, because otherwise you just missed the whole episode, because it will be pretty much sprinkled throughout it. But we'll give you warnings for the real bad bits. We will, exactly. For sure. So, in the 1970s, the Stainer family name was well known all over America as the youngest son Stephen disappeared and had been missing for seven years. When he miraculously suddenly reappeared after rescuing another young victim and escaping their evil paedophile kidnapper, he became America's youngest hero. But this was not where the Stainer story ends. Years after Stephen tragically died in a motorbike crash, the family name was all but forgotten in the media. That is, until a grisly spate of murders began in Mariposa County in 1999, causing ripples of fear across the young women of America. As stories of more savage murders hit the news, it left everyone asking the question, who is the Yosemite Park killer and when would he strike next? Finally, the net closes in on this brutal predator and when it is confirmed who he really is, law enforcement and people all over the world are left in total shock because he is the older brother of America's hero, Stephen Stainer. But this brother's story is the polar opposite to the heroic tale of his brave sibling that we covered last week. And as Carrie Stainer is charged and sentenced to death for the murders of four women, and suspected to be many more, it leaves us asking the age-old question about known serial killers. Is it in fact nature or nurture that makes these monsters kill? This is episode 48 Carrie Stainer, the Yosemite Park Killer. So if you listened to last week's episode on Stephen Stainer, you will already know a lot about Carrie Stainer's life. Now, I do recommend going back and listening because although these are two separate stories, there is a connection and you will have a better understanding of Carrie's life experience and what it was that he went through growing up. Well, let me give you some background on Carrie. Carrie Anthony Stainer was born on the 13th of August, 1961. He is also known as the Yosemite Park Killer, but that is not his only claim to fame. For want of a better expression, he was also older brother of kidnapped victim Stephen Stainer. Carrie was the eldest of five siblings born to Delbert and Kay Stainer. He had three younger sisters, Cindy, Jodie and Corey, and his younger brother, Stephen. Carrie was just 11 years of age when his younger brother Stephen was kidnapped and held captive by child molester Kenneth Parnell which we covered, as I said, in episode 47. Stephen did manage to escape after seven years of captivity, 
but Carrie would later report that he felt he had been neglected by his parents in the time that Stephen had been missing. When Stephen escaped and returned home a hero, as in the process of his escape, he also saved another little boy, five-year-old Timmy White, who was also a kidnapped victim of Kenneth Parnell. But upon his brother's return, Carrie, now 18, once again felt that he was ignored. But this time, not just by his parents, by everyone the world over. The world was in awe of Stephen and his heroic actions. The media just could not get enough of him. He was hounded by the press, interviewed constantly about his experience, and there were even movies and books written about him. But in reality, there was more to the story of Carrie even before his brother disappeared. At three years of age, Carrie was diagnosed with trichotillomania. And this is a condition where the sufferer has a tendency of compulsive hair pulling. So they pull their own hair from the root, from their head. And it can lead to ball patches where the person may end up having to wear rig, like wigs or things like yeah. that or scarves to cover up the hair loss. Um, it quite often leads to shame and stress as the sufferer finds it impossible to stop. And as you can imagine, the ball patches led to him getting bullied at Merced High School, where he attended his schooling career, making school life very difficult for Carrie. It's like we've discussed before with children, you know, children can be very cruel to each other and they they all just want to be the same and not stand out. Children are vicious, especially when they're in groups. Yeah, and they just don't want to be different. And especially if it's for a negative reason, of course. you know, and it's kind of the way we wear them. And, you know, mm. anyway, it's it's a catch 22, isn't it? So it's suspected that the kidnap of his brother, Stephen, led to some of his issues. However, upon his arrest, he told investigating officers that he had fantasized about kidnapping, raping and murdering women from as young as seven years of age. That's crazy. So that's years before his yeah. brother was ever went through his kidnap mm. ordeal. One of his sister's friends recalls an incident where Carrie exposed himself to her while she was at a sleepover at the house. Um, so he wasn't—he was known to kind of do strange things like that. Yeah. Um, and it was around this time an eleven-year-old Carrie was sexually molested by his uncle Jerry Stainer. Now I will talk more about Jerry a little bit later on, but he was a convicted paedophile, so it is believed that this is a true claim. Yeah. Carrie struggled with Stephen coming back into the family dynamic. Stephen's fame was difficult to manage. He was irritated by the hero status that was bestowed upon Stephen. He thought that his life as the older brother who had to pick up the pieces and in some ways take on more than his share of the load for his parents and siblings as the eldest child. He wanted recognition for what he'd gone through, which in fairness, I'm 100% sure he went through a lot of difficulties after Stephen's kidnapping. Of course. But he was annoyed by the different treatment that Stephen received from everyone, including his parents. Stephen had been allowed by his kidnapper to openly drink and smoke in the home and do many things that a teenager, as a teenager, that most parents would absolutely not allow and would crack down on. So the Stainer parents, recognising that Stephen had a very different upbringing than his siblings, gave him concessions on some of these things. I mean, what else could they do? Yeah, they had to try and help him readjust. And also he'd been, he spent seven years of his life with a paedophile kidnapper. And now seven years later, he's, you know, he's back home. He's a 14 year old. He's been allowed to drink, he's allowed to smoke. And the adjusting period of that is going to be very difficult. So they're going to need to give him some allowances to sort of ease him back into normal family life. Absolutely. And this enraged Carrie. 
So although Carrie struggled socially at school due to the bullying, he was a very bright student and he did very well in school. He was even put into accelerated learning classes and was chosen as the most creative student in his graduating class when he was 18 years old. He was a great artist and this was something that he was really passionate about and found a lot of solace in. Upon finishing school, Carrie went to work for a glass company installing windows. Here, he would fantasise about driving a truck into the building while everybody was working and then setting the building on fire, killing Jesus. all of his colleagues. Bloody hell. Yeah, so pretty messed up stuff. Mm. Um, his, he unsuccessfully attempted to take his life by suicide in 1991 by poisoning himself with carbon monoxide. Then in 1995, after having what would then have been known as a nervous breakdown, he was admitted into a mental institution where he received medical treatment and then was released. So after losing his job in the glass company, Carrie got a new job in 1997 as a handyman working at the Cedar Lodge Motel on the Central Yosemite Highway or the 140. Um, this is the one that I was saying I'm pretty sure that we passed. So I've been to Yosemite and mm. this is the one that I'm pretty sure that we, you have to pass it going from Merced into Yosemite. Yeah. That's the road that you take. And it's quite a famous, well-known mm. one that has been there for ages and still stands to this day. Yeah, and there's not many uh, motels around Yosemite. Like there's there's what's in the valley in Yosemite that you can stay in. Mm. And then they're kind of on the outskirts because it's a nature reserve. Yeah. So there's not many within the actual grounds. There. Like, so this, for example, is eight miles out. Right. But it's still considered in Yosemite, if you know right. what I mean. Um, so, la 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 la, what was I saying? Otherwise, da da da. So, Cedar Lodge Motel was where he would go on to meet the first of his known victims. So, as you said, as Carrie grew older, his disturbing, graphic, murderous fantasies became so constant, so out of control, that this ticking time bomb decided to give in to his urges and he just had to act on them. So in 1997, as you said, he was hired as a handyman at the Cedar Lodge Motel in El Portal, California. Now, this is a census-designated place in Mariposa County, located 11.5 miles or 19 kilometers southwest of Yosemite Village at an elevation of 19, no, 1,939 feet. <laughs> Why do you even try? I don't even know. <laughs> so basically, it's really high up, okay? <laughs> so it was situated just outside the Highway 140 and, like I said, seven, eight miles outside the gate of Yosemite National Park. So it is actually the perfect location for tourists mm-hmm. and travelers and just people on vacation who really want to visit this famous, beautiful park. Now, we know Carrie was very familiar with Yosemite because he is an avid outdoorsman and loved to be surrounded by nature. And this was a beautiful place to spend time if you are that way inclined. Absolutely. You know, if, if I had Yosemite on my doorstep, I'd be there all the time. It's so stunning. You would love yeah. it. So, of course, uh, Carrie accepted work at this lodge and it was really popular with tourists who were visiting Yosemite. And he actually became quite a well-known face there because he was always around fixing things, doing odds and ends. And, you know, he was the handyman. So, and also kind of like the caretaker, I guess we'd call it. So he was constantly around, but not, he wasn't an overtly uh, loud character, but he was just a well-known face. People knew him. Everybody recognized him. So he was now in his 30s and he was driving a pale blue International Scout car, which apparently he loved. He sought refuge in Yosemite because it was a place that he said he felt at home and he'd often go there and get high in marijuana. And he's also convinced 
once he saw a Bigfoot there whilst he was out in the woods. Oh, stop. I know, right? <laughs> Such is like, kind of just shows his mind. I mean, I don't know. Bigfoot might exist. I don't know. But I can't imagine it being Yosemite. But I mean, there's bears in Yosemite. It was probably a bear. Oh, maybe. I mean, take it up with him. Um... <laughs> So, <laughs> Will I write to him? <laughs> you, you can, you actually can. So he would use his access and extensive knowledge to this location to hunt for his first innocent victims. And two years later, he did exactly that. In February 1999, 42-year-old Carol Evansund, her 14, well, 15-year-old daughter, and some sources say 16-year-old, Juliana Julie Sund. Yeah, completely. And 16-year-old Argentinian exchange student Silvina Peloso were enjoying a little vacation, which was combined with them looking at potential colleges. So they wanted to experience... Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. They wanted to experience and explore Yosemite Parks, beautiful natural scenery. And it was so famous. So they wanted to do that whilst um, actually looking for the colleges. And so they just booked a room at the Cedar Lodge, where, unfortunately, Carrie, who's still harboring his evil fantasies, is the handyman. Now, by this time, Carrie had decided the day after Valentine's Day would be the day he killed another family, that of his then-girlfriend and her two daughters, who he would later say he had attempted to kill on three separate occasions. What? Yep. However, his plan was foiled when he saw, on the last occasion, when he saw another person on the grounds where they'd lived, so he just, um, you know, didn't bother with that one. But instead, on this day, intent on murdering somebody... Carrie returned to his workplace of Cedar Lodge and he turned his attentions to the Lodge's 500 building where Carol, Julie and Sylvina were staying. Carrie later said in a confession, quote, as I walked past there, it was a red car in the 500 building all by itself. The window was open, the curtains were open and I can see inside that there was two young women and the mother and there was no man, end quote. Oh no. So he walked up to the door of their little building and this building is set quite apart from the other sort of rooms. It's Mm -hmm. quite isolated. It's surrounded by like trees and stuff like that. So it's almost like a little cabin type kind of thing. Yeah, like sounds gorgeous, but it sounds amazing. But if there was a predator who was that way inclined, it is kind of sitting on the edge of the other ones. So unfortunately, he did use that as a target. So he walks up to the door of their building and he knocks on the door saying that he's the maintenance man. So at first, Carol, yeah, very cleverly says she won't open the door. But then Carrie says that he needs to look at a leak that's coming from an upstairs room. And she declined. But Carrie says, fine, I'm going to go get the management then and and tell them to come here. So she finally actually agrees to let him in. God. Carrie then launches his sickening attack. He strangles Carol and sexually assaults and murders Julie and Savannah. He keeps Julie alive longer as he's taken a liking to her and he even thinks about keeping her with him but eventually kills her too as he knows she could eventually identify him. Now after they disappear, Carol's husband was really worried because as time went on, he hadn't heard from his wife or his daughter and he just knew something was wrong. So after calling Cedar Lodge over and over again, he learned that they hadn't checked out of the lodge but all their belongings and their car were gone. One month after they disappeared on March 19th, Hikers discover a burnt-out car 18 miles from where the women had been staying. Police arrive and discover two sets of remains that were found inside the trunk of Carol's burnt and charred Pontiac rental car. Tragically, their bodies were burned beyond recognition. They were only able to be formally identified using their dental records. So an autopsy revealed Carol had been strangled with rope and shot. However, it was determined that she had not been raped. Sylvana's autopsy, however, revealed that she had been raped and shot. 
So police had located two of the missing women's bodies, but where was 15-year-old Julie? Law enforcement searched desperately for her in the hope that she may be still alive somewhere and, and maybe needing help. But sadly, a week later, a note was sent to the police with a hand-drawn map indicating the location, location of Julie's body. The top of the note said, quote, we had fun with this one, end quote. That's just sick. Totally sick, yeah. On receiving this note, investigators immediately went to the location shown on the map and there, sadly, they learnt the fate of the final missing young girl. They discovered Julie's remains. She too had been raped and her throat had been cut and she had suffered a, suffered a brutal death. Now they knew all three women had suffered horrendously violent murders and the hunt was on for their killer. Detectives began interviewing employees of the Cedar Lodge, where the three victims had been staying just before they disappeared on February 15th. Now, one of these employees was Carrie. However, he was not considered a suspect at that point because he had no criminal history and he remained totally calm and placid during the interview. And that's because he's a psychopath and that is how they roll. You know, <laughs> literally, he couldn't have literally that's professional an island. That's just my just speculating. But he is actually a psychopath. So when they interviewed him at Cedar Lodge, they said he didn't set off any alarm bells. And they he even told them a story about his brother, Stephen Stainer. So at he one point, not. he did. So at one point, he was even the guy who was opening up all the rooms of the lodges there for them oh to get evidence. So he was like helping them. It's He was watching the whole thing unfold and acting like he was helping. Like how these people can be so... And I feel like I say brazen. brazen all the time, but, but, but it, it is. is brazen. It really is. You know, it's almost like hiding in plain sight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the police were satisfied at this point that this handyman who was just chilled, he's helpful, you know, he had no involvement and they just continued to search for their killer, not knowing that they'd already been speaking to him. Police actually eventually arrest two brothers who did have criminal records and they wrongly accused them of the murders. However, they soon realized that they couldn't be responsible as the Yosemite Park killer has gotten a taste for murder and he's about to strike again. So the FBI and the police in the area were telling the public that they had the suspects in custody for the murders of Carol and Sylvania and Juliana. And in fact, they had been known into looking into these ex-convict prolies in the area who had served time for rape and murder. So obviously they didn't want the public to be afraid as it was mainly a tourist industry around Yosemite. And of course, they still wanted these tourists to come and visit. Yeah. But then on the 22nd of July, 1999, another decapitated body is found. Joy Ruth Armstrong was just 26 years old at the time of her murder. She was also an employee at at the Yosemite Institute and a naturalist living off-grid in a remote cabin at Yosemite. So she lived with her boyfriend and another housemate who were both away at the time. So Joy loved her job in Yosemite. Part of her work was to teach the tourists about the park. So she'd be working with families, young people and children about who were visiting just yeah. about the wonders of Yosemite and, you know, its history and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the nature side of things, everything. She, that was what she did. So Carrie had seen Joy walking in the area and followed her back to her cabin where he watched her. So he was watching her watering her garden plants and deduced that she was living there alone. God, it creeps me out. It's so creepy. It's like being watched and not knowing you're being watched. It's just, mm. the, that's just the creepiest thing. So she was in fact packing up 
all of her belongings and getting the house and garden ready as she was also going out of town to visit some friends in, I think it's called Sausalito. 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 And then onto her grandmother's in Santa Rosa later on that day. So she was planning on leaving that day to visit these people. So Carrie proceeded onto the porch where he said he was wearing a little small backpack, which he had hidden a small twenty-two revolver. She was chatting away to him while continuing to water the plants, but when she turned her back, he held the gun to her head and forced her at gunpoint into his truck. Now Joy managed to escape through the window of the truck after fighting him off. Now, trigger warning. Carrie, so skip ahead. Carrie screeched to a halt after she got out the window and chased her down. And in his anger, he said he just saw red and he decapitated her. He was so vicious in his attack of her. Yeah. So Joy's body was found in the stream behind her cabin. Her wrists were bound in duct tape. Her decapitated head was found 50 feet away and she it had also been duct taped or her mouth had been duct taped. So police found that the car was fully, her car, sorry, was fully packed and ready to leave for her vacation. So she was probably just finishing off the lots bits and pieces around the cabin and like probably only yeah. like hours before, it minutes of, yeah, before it she kind was going to take it's off. Of those things, it's like if only she just left a few hours earlier or if like you kind of, situations like this, I know. it's like, you know, just the timing. It's, just so the it's always the if, the bomb, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just so tragic. Yeah. So, Carrie had abducted Joy in his 1972 light blue International Scout, which is basically like an SUV or a Jeep. And he parked it up outside of her cabin. So, this car was actually seen by others in front of the cabin where Joy was staying on the 21st of July, so the day before. So, investigators managed to find a link, sorry, find and link the car to Carrie immediately and went to pick him up. Now, as Hannah said, he had actually been a question before about the murders of Carol, Sylvania and Juliana, as obviously he worked in the area. But because he didn't have this type of criminal history and remained so calm throughout the questioning, he was ruled out. When they managed to track Carrie down, it was at the Laguna de Sol, which is a nudist camp in Wilton. And I don't know about you, but something about that really tickles me. Yeah, 100%. Like, There's it, no way in hell I'd be going to nudist camp. But I'm not that confident for a start. <laughs> yeah, well, that number <laughs> one. Like, I don't want everyone to see me like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I just like, like, it's like a kind of hiding out naked. Like it's, yeah. the, a, like it's the epitome of hiding in plain he sight, he right? He was most at home in nature. Like he yeah. loved living amongst the woods and the trees and hiking and whatever. And so, you know, maybe it lends to that. Who knows? It's just kind of one of it's those. not for me, but. Like silly things got to do with it, isn't it? So apparently he was known to hang out at this nudist Connolly in Laguna de Sol. And when questioned later, others who would also be there said that Carrie was very normal and never posed a threat to anyone at any time whilst he was at the nudist camp. Nobody had a bad word to say about him. So he was arrested and taken to Sacramento Police Station for questioning. Police were pretty sure that they had their man for the murder of Joy Armstrong. What they were not expecting was a confession to three other murders. And by the 25th of July, the FBI had brought him up to Yosemite so he could guide them through the murder of Joy and what he had done to her. And this was all recorded and portions of this tape can be seen on that docu-series, Captive Audience, which is, I watched on Disney+. Plus. But it's so surreal to watch him talk about it. He's so calm. 
he could be talking about the book he's just been reading. Completely emotionless. Journalist Ted Rowlands went to the police station and requested an interview with Carrie, which beggars belief was actually granted before the FBI had had this conversation with him. It's crazy. How? So from the interview, it was clear that Carrie really wanted the notoriety. One of the conditions of the interview was that he wanted a major Los Angeles movie of the week, which is a thing that they used to do in Los Angeles years ago, about his life story. So he wanted like a feature about his life story on there. Maybe because his brother had exactly a very like that. famous. That's a hundred percent what I thought. Yeah, he wanted to have the notori- the notoriety, notoriety. That, ca- that Stephen had. Yeah, the reporter obviously was like, "Right, well, I'm just going to agree to anything because I want to get this story." Okay. So he was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." And um, Carrie confessed and told him the whole sordid story of the four mur- murders. Carrie told Rowlands that he would have kept killing if he had not been caught. So now they have their prime suspect in custody. And like you said, he's in Sacramento. And for hours, they've doing some intense questioning. And investigators were so shocked when he was openly confessing. And, and who knows why he actually did so readily. Could it be that he knew the game was up and there was too much evidence against him? Or was it that he was almost relieved that he had finally been stopped because he wasn't going to on his own? These killings happened in quick succession because his calling off period between them wasn't very long in comparison to other serial killers as he mm-hmm. killed four victims in just five months. So that's a lot. That is a lot, with. yeah. Huge. Or did he perhaps readily admit to his crimes <coughs> so he could use his confession as leverage or as bartering material, which he did when he asked investigators for child pornography in return for his full confession? Which is just, I mean, I can't even cope with that No one. words for that at all. Needless to say, investigators said no for obvious reasons. So he actually confesses to killing Joey Armstrong or Joy Armstrong, Carol and Juliana Julie Sand and Silvana Peloso. And it actually happened in depth when somehow he apparently struck up a bond with FBI agent Jeffrey Rinnick during a car ride after his arrest in the agent's two-door Thunderbird. So... What? Yes. So he, this is the guy went to pick him up. This is the guy that picked him up from the nudist colony. So Rinnick had been called to go and pick him up and bring him in for questioning. And at that stage, all he knew about Kerry was that his brother had been kidnapped by a paedophile in the 70s. And he obviously knew it was a, he knew the story because it was a really famous story. Yeah. So once he picked Kerry up from the colony, he said the two kind of became like friends on the car ride. I say, I friends in, in quote, mm-hmm. where they were talking about Carrie's love for Yosemite and about the abduction of Carrie's brother in 73. So Rinek recalls, quote, I asked him about his brother because I worked abducted children and I wanted to know what we in law enforcement could do to better help the families, you know, of, of abducted children, end quote. So he said Carrie became really emotional when he was talking about the idea of closure when something like the loss of a brother happens. Carrie then also shared that he had been a victim of child abuse when he was young. And he was openly sharing his stories with the agent as they waited to get through traffic on the way to the police station. So Rennick says that their drive should have taken about 45 minutes, but it turned out to be 90 minutes because there was a construction work site, which gave them time to get to know each other and kind of get a bit of a bond, mm-hmm. a bit of a rapport going. Therefore, allowing Carrie to feel comfortable enough to open up. So once at the station, Carrie told officers that he wanted to skip a polygraph and he'd already spoken to some reporters 
But he wanted to speak to Rinnick first, who still didn't know Carrie was an actual murder suspect and was actually taking, he was like, Rinnick was taking takeaway orders at this time when he receives the call that, okay, Carrie wants to speak to you. Mm -hmm. So this is when he's ready to fully confess. He admitted his crimes to Rinnick and the other agents and he told them Rinnick is the reason he's confessing as he felt like they'd bonded during that 90 minute car ride. Carrie admitted that, quote, there were days when he had wonderful thoughts and days where he felt he could kill the whole world, end quote. He said he'd been abused as a child, he wasn't able to have any normal relationships with a girl, and he told them that he could give them closure on what they were about, well, basically all the Yosemite murders. Okay. So they questioned him for six hours as he confesses to killing Joey, Carol, Julie Sand, and Sylvina Peloso. Carrie also admitted to sending investigators the map of where Julie's remains were. After his confessions, Rinnick promised to help contact Carrie's loved ones. He said, quote, this is Rinnick, the, detect- the investigator. I drove up through the night to see them and I spent several hours with them. I tried to prepare them for the reality that they would be losing their second son, end quote. So he had to go to this back to the Stainer family who'd already lost Stephen when he disappeared for seven years, kidnapped by the paedophile. He returns after seven years and, and tries to rebuild and does rebuild a life for himself. And then he tragically dies That's in that motorbike crash. So yeah. they lost Stephen all over again. Yeah, they now, kind of lost him twice. They, they did. And now they're, you know, they're still trying to recover from that. And now they are losing their other son for completely different reasons. reasons. Yeah. It's just, it's a tragedy in itself. Yeah. So... Um, just honestly, when you think there couldn't be anything worse to happen to one family, finding out their son, their remaining son, is the Yosemite Park serial killer and that he will never see the light of day again. This is what they are told in the early hours. Horrific. So alas, now police officially know that they have their man. They finally found the Yosemite Park killer. The people of California could breathe a sigh of relief once more and feel somewhat safe again in their beautiful national parks as Carrie's attorney start to build his defense. So Carrie Stainer was tried in federal court for Joey Armstrong's murder since it had occurred on federal land. To avoid a possible death sentence, he pled guilty to premeditated first-degree murder, felony first-degree murder, kidnapping resulting in death, and attempted aggravated sexual abuse resulting in death. During his sentencing hearing, Carrie stunned the courtroom when he suddenly broke down in floods of tears and apologised. He said, quote, I wish I could take it back, but I can't. I wish I could tell you why I did such a thing, but I don't even know myself. I'm so sorry. I wish there was a reason, but there isn't. It's senseless. End quote. So as Carrie broke down, Leslie Armstrong, who's Joe's, Joey's or Joy's mother. I'm not sure how to pronounce it because it's spelled different from Joy or Joey. It's, yeah, so it's spelled J-O-I-E. Mm. So I can see why you're saying Joey, but I think when I've heard it, it's been Joy. Okay, Joy. Because J-O-Y Joey's... would be Joy and that could even, like Joey, yes. it could be Joey either, couldn't it? Yeah. So I think it's Joy. So Joy's mother starts crying as she listens to what he said. And she actually says afterwards that she believed his apology was genuine. So she's definitely more forgiving than me. I was me, just that's going for to sure. say the exact same thing. What yeah. a very forgiving nature yeah. she must have. So Carrie Stainer was sentenced to life in prison without parole. He pled not guilty by reason of insanity to the other murders in state court. Stainer also admitted he had intended to murder um, some Finnish girls in 1998, but that never actually ended up coming to fruition. But... He had fled when the girl's advisor had arrived. So there was a lot of attempted murders, a lot of attempted abductions that were foiled before this. So he's admitting to things he didn't even need to admit to, Mm. but says it's because I was insane. And that's what his lawyers are telling him to say. 
His lawyers claim the Stainer family had a history of sexual abuse and mental illness manifesting itself not only in the murders, but also his obsessive compulsive disorder and his request to be provided with child pornography in return for his confession. So they're putting it all down to all these different things, saying this is why he's like this. Well, all he's really proving is just how dangerous he really is. 100%. So Dr. Jose Arturo Silva testified that Stainer had obsessive compulsive disorder, mild autism and paraphilia. Nevertheless, he was found to be sane and on August 27th, 2002, Kerry was convicted of three counts of first degree murder with special circumstances and one count of kidnapping by a jury. He was sentenced to death for the brutal killings. He was sent to the adjustment center on death row at none other than San Quentin San Quentin State Prison in California, where he has been since 2002 and he remains on death row to this day. Although there have been no executions in California since a 2006 court ruling over flaws in the administration of capital punishment in the state. Oh, Lord. So he's still... That's why they stopped it. Yeah. So that was literally 2006. That basically means that they killed somebody who wasn't meant to be killed, right? I guess. Well, also, I think it was they they were killed unlawfully. It wasn't done in the right way. Oh, Lord. So there hasn't been any executions, but he still remains on death row. So he is segregated from other prisoners because he's only going to be able, you know, he's on the death row where other death row prisoners will be. And Carrie Stainer is now 62 years old. Is he only 62? It feels like he should be older, doesn't it? Yeah. So after his confession, investigators started looking at other murders in the area to see if they could be linked to Carrie. One such victim was Patricia Marie Hicks Dahlstrom, also known as Patty. Patty was 28 years old when she disappeared in September of 1982. She had just moved from Washington to live in Merced, California. Her family were concerned as she had just escaped a cult group that she had become involved with after the tragic death of her brother. Now, this cult was called the San Andana Apostolic Church. Cult leader Donald Gibson was found guilty of multiple sexual assaults, all under the guise of religious pretenses. So he would say that sleeping with him would clean them of all their sins. You know, all the usual Uh, rubbish that you have to hear from these idiots. Yeah. So he would drug young teen males and females with LSD and then sexually assault them. So Gibson managed to flee while out on bond awaiting his sentencing and he has never been seen again. What? Yes, we may have to do a thing on that because that's so crazy. So Paddy was one of those who testified against Gibson in court leading to his conviction. After the trial, she left the cult and relocated to uh, Merced. Stainer and Gibson were friends. And investigators wondered if Stephen had murdered Patty in retribution for her testimony during Gibson's trial, which he attended to support his friend in 1981. Wow. Did not know this. Yeah. So Patty was last seen by her roommate heading out to Yosemite National Park. It was almost a year later in June 1983 when a severed arm and hand were found in Yosemite. Then five years later... A decapitated skull was found in the same area. It would be April of 2021 before the remains were identified through genetic genealogy to be that of Patty Hicks-Dalstrom. So another potential victim of Carrie was his own uncle, Jesse Gerald Stainer, known as Jerry Stainer. 
whom we mentioned yeah, earlier on in the episode. abused Kerry when he was younger. So on the 26th of December 1990, Jerry, who was a Vietnam vet and working at a trucking company at the time, had gone home from work on his lunch break when he walked in on an apparent burglary. 42-year-old Jerry Stainer was shot to death at his home in Merced with his own shotgun. Jerry had been shot three times, once in the chest and twice in the head. So Carrie, who was 29 and living with his uncle at the time, was questioned about the murder by police. But they believed that, you know, he told them that he thought a drifter had murdered his uncle in order to rob the uncle's coin collection. Mm. And he was cleared. I mean, the thing is, though, then when you look at it in hindsight, it's like, this is a convicted serial killer. Mm. And then suddenly the guy he's living with, who abused him, was is shot dead. to death. So Carrie never admitted to murdering his uncle. But this was the same uncle Carrie claimed molested him around the time that his brother Stephen went missing, so when he was just 11 years mm. of age. Jerry had brought the company's dog home with him in the truck <gasps> that day. Please don't say the dog died. So it was a schnauzer named Digger. Now, the truck that Cherry drove was found the next day parked up behind a gas station on Yosemite Way, eerily close to where Carrie's brother Stephen Stainer had been kidnapped years earlier. Oh, wow. So no trigger warning needed as Digger the dog was found alive and well inside the truck. But also in the truck were the keys to the vehicle, um, which were just found in the ignition. Investigators wonder if this could have been Carrie's first murder, no one has ever been convicted for the murder of Jerry. Wow. So that's not where their suspicions end, though, as there are other murders that he is also suspected of. So following his arrest, and due to the severity and savagery of his murders, detectives believe that this was not his first rodeo, Mm-mm. and they strongly suspect Carrie of being responsible for even more homicides and disappearances. So besides the four that he's confessed to and the ones you've just talked about, here is a few other ones. In October 1994, severed human hands were discovered near the New Maloney's Reservoir. Then, on December 13th of that year, a group of boys were burning debris from their yard just off Camp 9 Road near Vallecito, California. Suddenly, one of the boys stumbled upon a headless and handless torso which was found in a cluster of trees. Can people stop severing body parts, please? Oh my god, I know, I can't even. It's It's disgusting. Can people just stop killing in general? Would that be okay? Seriously. It would be okay. Yeah. A forensic pathologist determined that the severed hands that they'd found back in October did in fact belong to this body. So in December 95, thanks to numerous tests and diligent police work, these as yet unidentified remains were finally confirmed as belonging to 24-year-old Sherilyn Mavon Murphy. Sadly, Sherilyn's head has still never been found to this day. No. Due to the similarities of Sherilyn's death and the murder of Joy Armstrong, the FBI investigated further to determine whether they could link Kerry Stainer to her murder. And it also, it certainly matches his MO, like mm. disposing of bodies in the parks in California, as well as beheading victims, which is pretty rare. And mutilating the bodies and the remains yeah, exactly. so that they can be identified. Exactly. So far, they've been unable to officially charge him for her murder, but investigations are ongoing. So authorities have also reviewed the case of 34-year-old Denise Smith, whose decomposed body was discovered in a 50-gallon burn barrel off Jacksonville Road near the Don Pedro Reservoir in Sierra Nevada, California? California. 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 
So her remains were also found in December 94, and they continue to suspect that Carrie may be linked to Denise's murder too, although so far, no concrete evidence has confirmed this. Another murder authorities have tried to link to Carrie. Lord, it never I know, ends. It, it literally could go on. So another one includes that of 20-year-old Michael Larry, known as Mike Madden. On August 10th, 96. Michael Larry. So Michael Larry Madden, but they call him Mike. I swear I know that name. Well, oh you're going to say you're related, God. aren't you? No, you're related. Irish people relate to everyone. No, I know what it is. I'm so sorry. It's oh. Will Smith plays Mike Larry in that bad boy is that movie oh i don't think i've ever seen it what no i told you i'm not cool the, I don't the see run oh my god oh. everyone who's seen that movie especially women we all know well, maybe, the run. maybe i'll watch it this weekend you need to um but but back to michael mike madden <laughs> so on august the 10th 96 he planned to meet friends at sandbar flat campground in the stanislaus national forest near sonora california so again, this is a national park in California. We know Kerry was very partial to the outdoor life. Yeah. Um, and he spent a lot of time in national parks. He was very well accustomed to most of them. And as well as he liked to dispose of victims there. So, so far, it's fitting his MO. So Mike and his friends planned to go fishing and camping there. But that day, Mike had left his family's home at around 5 a.m. Very early. And sadly, he was never seen again. So at 2 a.m. on August 12th, so two days later, Mike's friends show up in the predetermined meeting spot where they're meant to meet, but they found no sign of Mike whatsoever. He's just disappeared. So authorities have considered the possibility that Mike may have fallen victim to Carrie Stainer, whose other crimes were committed near Yosemite National Park. This is only 74 miles away from Sonora, where Mike was last seen. Again, there's been no concrete evidence to link Carrie to his disappearance. However, authorities remain suspicious. I mean, it's just so awful for the Stainer family. I feel like, you know, obviously Stephen went on to have two children. So not only did mm. they have to struggle with everything that happened to their father, yeah. learning about that as they grew older, having to kind of come to terms with that. Mm. And then one of your relations, your uncle, the brother of your father, goes and does yeah. this. And those murders, the Yosemite Park murders, they were big news Huge in the press news. again. So everyone was like, who could this be? These murders were horrendous. I mean, these are savage, savage killings. You know, they were shot. They were, you know, throats were cut, like... Um, joy was joy was beheaded and everything and so to then be reading and watching all of this on the news knowing your other your actual dad's actually already famous in the in the news and stuff yeah. anyway and then suddenly you find it's your uncle who has been doing all of these famous gross you know savage murders i mean I can't even imagine the sort of time or the the roller coaster of like ups and downs and well, ups and downs. The shame of the shame the they shame. felt that like you yeah. know, and the bullying that they went through in school of course. because of the, it. the pride you'd feel towards your dad Stephen, oh, no. who was a hero and remains a hero. And I really want to see his statues, and we'll post some pictures of his statues on our Instagram. Yeah. Um. And and then like to be obviously related, unfortunately, to a, a vicious serial killer. It's just. You couldn't make it up. Well, I know that, like, Ashley, the daughter, she kind of says, you know, that she feels like... Stephen's daughter. Stephen's daughter feels like, you know, her family... Like, her dad's almost been tainted 
by association. Yeah. You know, but, like his story was so yeah. heroic. And then suddenly it was, you know this family, but you know them from this. Yeah. But now this, yeah. you know. But that's why I feel like Stephen's story needs to remain like intact. Because he is, you know, an absolute hero. And he was to the day he died. And he died so prematurely. And, and it's gutting that he died in such a horrible, yeah. tragic way. And I think that's one reason why when we actually started researching this case and realised well, these are two totally separate stories mm. while we decided, well, this isn't going to be a part one and part two mm. because actually Stephen's story is so different and completely non-related to Carrie's story. And he deserves his own story. Yeah, absolutely. And Carrie's is an actual nightmare of a story and he is not a hero and he's an absolute beast. And like we said, he still is languishing on death row to this day. Um, who knows if he'll ever be executed, but it seems unlikely. Not married now. Yeah. You know how they love to get married. You know what? I actually don't know, but I didn't read anything <laughs> about him being married. So I didn't see anything I about it. I didn't either. see anything about that at all. Because you know, if I saw that, I'd be picking up on that yeah. ASAP. So, ladies, still available. Yeah. Yeah. God. <laughs> Any of those people who are obsessed with prisoners, you know, just get on in there. No, you you know don't. who to start your pen pal yeah. letters to. Don't, don't really. Don't really. No, we are not. We like to talk about them, not to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, on that note, guys, we're going to wrap it up there. But we'll see you next week for episode 49. Don't forget to follow us on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, X. X. And um, you can email us on dumpblamethemom at gmail.com. Yes, exactly. Please do follow and rate on our Spotify and our Apple. We really, really appreciate that. And that yeah. helps us so much. And if you've got any requests or any feedback or anything, do feel free to uh, send them to us on any of those uh, social media platforms. Mm. And we always respond. So, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week for episode 49. Bye. Bye. Bye.